Welcome to the Historian Speaks podcast. Uh, we are pleased to have Historian Speaks and Krishanta Drake, our assistant editor, with us this morning. Good morning, Ms. Drake. Good morning. Good morning. We are here to bring you another exciting episode. Our podcast is, a, is an extension of our web platform, historianspeaks.org. We have published 166 blogs. Please visit our site, join our email list, and donate to support our cause. Uh, today's episode focuses on Ma Rainey. Uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the historical work of Ma Rainey, a well-known blues singer, also known as the mother of the blues, and then a film adaptation of a play by August Wilson titled Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was produced on Netflix last December. So it aired last December on Netflix. And so we're going to talk uh, both about Ma Rainey and then, of course, uh, the actual film. So let me begin by just talking a little bit about Ma Rainey, who was Ma Rainey, and just give you a little information about her. Ma Rainey was known as Gertrude Ma Rainey. She was born as Gertrude Pridget. She was born in 1886, and she died in 1939. She began performing primarily as a teenager, and she married uh, Will Pop Rainey in 1904 and obviously took his name. She was associated with a group known as the Rabbit Foot Minstrels, and they formed the group Rainey and Rainey, Assassinators of the Blues. She did her first recordings in the early 1920s, and she made over 100 recordings. Uh, some of her most famous include Bow Weevil Blues in 1923, Moonshine Blues 1923, C.C. Rider Blues 1924, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom 1927, and soon this morning in 1927. And I just want to stop here and give you a sample of one of her most popular songs, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, we will give you a little bit of that, a little sampling. This runs for about two minutes, but I think it'll give you a sense of the flavor of her music. All right, boys, you didn't see the rest. Now I'm going to show you the best. Ma Rainey's going to show you her black bottom. Way down south in Alabama, I got a friend they call Dancing Sammy, who's crazy about all the latest dances. Black bottom stomps and the new baby prances. The other night at a swell affair, soon as the boys found out that I was Yeah. <laughs> 
what we're going to do is really talk about some elements of the film that we thought were interesting and that uh, sort of illuminated the life of Ma Rainey. And then, of course, we wanted to really talk about some of the things that we thought really will help our listeners to understand who Ma Rainey was and then, of course, how we currently understand her today. So one of the things we really want to focus on is really looking at how film can be used that is the past to help us understand the present and to really understand how past is relevant to the present. And so that's going to be one of the things that we'll talk about. So we're going to talk a little bit about some, several, at least four aspects of this. First, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the role of women uh, and uh, women blues singers in this period. Uh, and then secondly, we're going to talk about uh, the issue of sexuality. The third issue is the rural and urban uh, divide that is really quite pronounced in the in the piece. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Black musicians. So some of those things are really going to overlap. So we'll just see how it goes. Okay, so let's begin by sort of talking about uh, the roles of Black blues women. So uh, uh, Ms. Drake, I'll turn it over to you. And uh, Yeah, so let's, let's get into it. Um, yeah, so Ma Rainey herself, she... She herself was an amazing um, musician. Um, she wrote, I believe it was over 100 songs within the span of like five years, wrote and um, recorded over 100 songs in the span of five years, which really made her a crossover artist, not only in the South, but also in the North, which made her um, rise to fame very fast, especially um, in the Northern parts the states and um also i really want to touch on like the sexuality part some of her lyrics her songs they talk about like the female escapades of having different partners and that sort of thing which was not really popular in female blues lyrics during that time but she made it popular you know a lot of men were talking about that but a lot of women were not so she kind of came in and she kind of said, you know, this is how women are going to take back their power. We're going to talk about the things that are just taboo. So, yeah, she really um, staged for that. And also, Ma Rainey was not afraid to go after what she wanted. She was a woman who, if she wanted something, she would go after it. She wasn't a woman who was tied down to marriage. Um, you can see that within her song lyrics. She sung about it. Even though she was married on paper, her husband was not really seen with her, often traveling, touring. And I don't think even the guy who she was married with early on in her career, I don't think their marriage even lasted long. So she was exempt from that rule. A lot of Black women during that time period were tied to marriage. They were in a marriage with a man. They were housewives. They were doing these sort of things. But Ma Rainey was an um, exception to the rule. So, yeah. So the issue of sexuality, of course, is a very important one. Uh, we see it uh, in terms of Ma Rainey's bisexuality and also interest uh, in women. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we also see it in, in her lyrics. Um, Song Prove It On Me, of course, has that uh, sort of uh, discussion uh, as well. And some of the lyrics, of course, point to uh, uh, affairs with women and that sort of thing. And of course, we know that's quite common. We see that with several well-known stars during the period. Mm -hmm. Of course, her uh, contemporary Betsy Smith, uh, one, of course, was uh, had relations with both men and women. So that's something that we see during the period. And of course, the 20s are a very interesting period as well in terms of 
the way in which people are experimenting with a wide variety of, of things with their sexuality and other sorts of things. And it's a period of, of sexual freedom and of liberation and other kinds of things. And so African-Americans are certainly involved in those kinds of uh, frameworks as well. And um, she certainly is reflective of that uh, in terms of the, of the things that she's doing. And of course, women are play a very important role, not only in her personal life, but also obviously as um, collaborators. Of course, she's a great friend of Betsy right. Smith and a mentor. And so she, of course, is active in uh, promoting other female artists as well uh, during the period. So it's a very interesting sort of um, as well. So yes, it's a really, uh, and I think the film does a good job of sort of speaking to some of those issues and really giving us a fully textured uh, notion of who Ma Rainey was and the kind of work that, that she did. So very, very interesting in that regard um, in terms of uh, discussing those, those kinds of issues. One of the other uh, exciting themes uh, in the piece was the constant issue here with the discussion of the of sort of a, what I'm calling sort of an emerging Black identity, which is essentially no longer a rural identity, but indeed an urban one. And so I think the film does a really good job because Rainey really, her work, her career sort of spans the first portion, if you will, of the Great Migration. The Great Migration is this movement of large numbers of African-Americans, more than a million African-Americans from the South to the rural South, to the urban South, to the urban North, to the West, to the Midwest uh, between 1915 and 1960. And so we know that... um, we see these kinds of developments beginning in 1915, but we know that there are well-established Black communities in places like Harlem and, of course, in uh, Chicago, where this um, story takes place. And, of course, we see uh, the way in which urban culture is increasing. And so one of the things um, that I thought was, there were lots of interesting things here in terms of how we sort of think about Black life in the period. And I just wanted to point out a few the film opens with a very, I think, powerful scene where there are two boys running through a Georgia forest, and we hear uh, dogs barking in the background. And so the boys are running. And so the assumption could be that these two black boys at the turn of the century are running from an attack. The Klan is after them. They're going to be lynched, so forth and so on. As we move forward, what we see, of course, is... Uh, Ma Rainey's tent show, and they're actually going into the woods to see Ma Rainey. And of course, we see her performance uh, age, and it's a very visceral kind of performance. We move into the urban space and the Great Migration, which I just mentioned, through a series of black and white photos, which show us the migrants. And uh, we then emerge in the North with uh, the, the presence of Ma Rainey on a stage in the North, and of course, performing. And so we get a sense, or at least in a more urban space, performing. We're not sure if it's in the north or the south, but certainly it's in a more urban space. So we're moving from the from the, a rural space to an urban space, and then that becomes sort of a space where uh, they're operating. In addition, throughout, we see kind of these challenges that we see here in terms of uh, the band. The band kind of represents and the tensions that emerge between the band. Um, you have generational tensions with the older members of the band, slow drag, 
Cutler in Toledo versus Chaz Bozeman's character, Levy, who's a younger man. And so he represents, they represent kind of this older accompaniment band that essentially is travels separately from the leader of the band and then essentially uh, wishes Ma Rainey. And you'll notice that they arrive at the practice session before Ma Rainey. And then, of course, um, they practice the songs. And then, of course, uh, in the discussion uh, between Levy and the band members, he, some of these differences emerge where Levy says at several points that, you know, this is a jug band. So the jug band, uh, and he's doing new work, work that's, he's improvised more upbeat. He's doing things that are, that work better for uh, new audiences, for urban audiences. He, of course, refers to him, as I said before, as a jug band, which of course a jug band is essentially a band that has uh, all improvised instruments, right? And so they're not as sophisticated. They are not playing by ear. And maybe some of the other members are playing by Sturdivan and company, Sturdivan, in an effort between the two, which of course true this kind of attention. When she arrives, she insists on it because, again, it's her way of controlling the music. And then uh, in that, she has a number of different demands that she needs to have uh, her, her uh, nephew do the intro. She also needs to have a Coke. She needs to have um, things done her way. Uh, so even though the recording studio is essentially trying to sort of trap her voice in the new machinery, which she, of also acknowledges she then uh, tries to control the situation as much as possible by constructing the music in such a way uh, that it's it's authentic to uh, her own lived experience and to the black experience as opposed to making it more palatable for white uh, audiences and so that's something that we see and in this long discussion with Cutler between Cutler and Ma Rainey we see uh, where she makes a number of comments about uh, what she sees as the intent, uh, and then of course uh, goes on to kind of talk about the importance of music and the way in which she's seeking to preserve the music. And then at several points when there is challenge challenges between the men, between um, the white men who are running the studio, uh, her she says to them, "Oh, I don't need this. I can go back to my tour down south. I don't want to be here." Uh, I don't want to be a part of this. I can go back to my tour. And so she's clearly letting them know that uh, she does not need them. They need her in terms of this, these rural and urban uh, frameworks. And there's this real tension between Black artists and, and white producers. And then, of course, the subplot, of course, is the tensions that have really emerged with uh, between the band and Levy, which I think are generational, but also are linked to um, the rural-urban divide. And then we can also see that in terms of uh, Ma Rainey, who really does not want... Um, one of the reasons she fires Levy eventually from the band is that she feels that he really is not uh, one a person who's going to follow instruction. But then secondly, she, he's seeking to change the music and make it something that is not consistent with the um traditional way in which it's presented so it's not only tradition but she sees that as um, distorting music and making it something other than what it is and so she is very adamantly when he attempts to to essentially upstage her during the latter part of the um performance session recording session then she of course uh, fires him 
and then that leads to his further uh, demise, and then subsequently the death of uh, the death of um, Toledo uh, in terms of the um, altercation between Levy and Toledo in the final act. I also yeah. think that the, one of the other reasons why she fires him is yeah. that you know Levy represents like the newer generation, like times are changing. Again, you know, Ma Rainey is, um, she's in like the height of her career. She's in late in her career. She knows times are changing. The sound music is changing. And Livy Levy represents that change. And she just does not want to accept that change. And because even he comes in and he takes her song and he has his version of the song and she's like, no, we're not doing your version. We're doing my version. So she's not really open to change. And Levy, he's kind of like that, um, that in-between person, like he represents, you know, the new, the new music that's coming in, you know, during the 20th century, the swing music, that sort of thing. Versus my Rainey, who's more of the Southern blues type, you know. So I think a lot of that is due to her, you know, knowing that eventually, you know, people are going to get tired of listening well, right. to her, you know. People are going to get tired of her sound because new sound is coming in. People are listening to swing now. Even Levy says, you know, people don't listen to this no more. You know, uh, music is changing. The sound is changing. And he represents that change for um uh, Ma Rainey. And also with Levy, like Levy has the expectation that Irvin is going to offer him, you know, big money. You know, Irvin is going to give him a contract. You know, he's under the impression that he's going to be just as big as Ma Rainey. And what happens is, is that Irvin basically uses Levy in the ways that he was using Ma Rainey essentially is to write the music so that he can give it to um, a white musician so that they can record the music. Same as my Rainey. So, yeah. And that's what causes him to, yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. So I think you make some really important points. And again, it becomes almost fool's gold for Levy because I think in some ways Ma represents sort of, as you say, the older sensibility in the music, but she also represents the wiseness, uh, sort of generationally, she re- represents a mm-hmm. right, uh, exactly. vision of the world that uh, in some ways is more informed naive. than Levy. The hubris of youth, which in some instances can be naive, right? I think that's an excellent word, naive. Right. And so he doesn't really recognize that he's being used, right? <laughs> and that uh, that there is a vision of his talent. I think Ma sees it. And uh, also the other white recording artists see it as well. And they're trying to uh, take advantage of it. Uh, and um, But they're also interested in the way in which he is connected right. to Ma, because when he's fired by Ma, then they also have no use for him either, right? <laughs> and they, they are offering him essentially chump change before they're offering him uh, right. something substantial for his for the music Within the context of playing the band, right. but then no longer in the band, they're offering him, you know, five dollars for for his music. You know, they're offering him twenty five per song, and then they're offering him, you know, five for the collection. It appears uh, the white uh, producer says this is not the music, uh, and so we we see that the North holds both mm. 
great promise, but also great pitfalls. And so it it is a cautionary tale that if you you can you can uh, so so I think a part of it is also like uh, being true to yourself. So sort of true to the culture. So what what do you do in in a circumstance like that in terms of trying to both strive for something better, something new, right. and but then also stay true to your sort of cultural roots. And that's an interesting framework because Levy at the end of the day is sort of presenting himself as this cultural icon, uh, as an ur- urbanite, but in fact, he's he's also from this. Uh, and he, he then um, is striving to do more I uh, right. set himself apart from mom uh, in, in the group. Yeah. You know, that was his shining moment being with the group, but he kind of forgot as he began to own his skills, he kind of forgot where he came from. And kind of that was his mistake there because even in the beginning, you can kind of see how he tries right. to outshine Ma and how in 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 the beginning there's a performance and she's performing, she's singing. And she has right. to take the spotlight and put it back on her because he done stepped into the spotlight. Sure. Levy is just right. too mm-hmm. eager to take on a role that he's not ready for. He's he's not right. ready for certain things and he believes that he's ready for it. And he prematurely tries to step into right. the role of Ma Rainey, not the exact role, but he tries to step into that role as being the star, but he's not ready for that. He's not wise enough. He doesn't have the tools that it takes to be the star that Ma Rainey is. That's why it takes right. wisdom to get there. And one of the things that I found interesting is that um, he kills Toledo, right? And we know Toledo is, out of everyone in the group, Toledo is the most well-read, the well-studied. He's not too um, particular about material things and that sort of thing. And I find it interesting that Levy, being the most naive, the most uneducated, the most uh, materialistic, he kills Toledo, which basically, in my eyes, represented, like, this this sort of wisdom. Yeah, that's really that's a really profound uh, point, right? Uh, you know, I I had not thought about it. Uh, I, I had thought about it just in terms of yeah. uh, Toledo. T- Toledo is really the most formidable individual in the group, but he's also the oldest. He went for the person who uh, he thought was the weakest physically, but it is clear what you're saying is I think correct in the sense that he's going. Right. with the person who is really gotten in his craw, if you want to say, right? right? About really gotten to him and shown him the folly of his ways, right? Because he's really pointing out to him how much right. he doesn't know. So so that's so Toledo is really the distance that Levy needs to travel. And because he knows right. he can't travel it or he cannot be what Toledo is, he has to kill it. Right. He has to kill it. And so, yeah, that's a profound um, that's a profound. I think you, you, you made a really profound point there. And that's interesting because I had not thought about that. I was just thinking in terms of the age issue. Yeah. You hear the conversations yeah. that he having right. that he's having with Cutler and Slow Drag and they're having right, right. like these, right. these off the wall conversations. Right. But you hear Toledo and he's talking about these different things about how the Negro race can progress and all this other stuff. And they're looking at Toledo like, 
man, all that you're talking about, we don't care about. And Toledo's like, yeah, and this right. is what we should do. We should be doing yeah. this and this. And everybody's like, nobody cares about that. And Levy's like, yeah, right. I'm worried about my shoes. I'm worried about writing these songs for right. Mr. Irving because I'm going to be a star. Right. And, you know, he kind of puts himself in the place of Ma Rainey, like he wants to be in her space so much so that he even sleeps with Ducey, who is basically Ma Rainey's girlfriend. He doesn't have the wherewithal. He may have some musical ability, but it hasn't been honed enough. And so that becomes um, a part of his, a part of his downfall in terms of what he does. Yeah. But, but I think that's a really apt characterization of what, you know, what's going on there in terms of um, what's going on with Toledo. Because literally, as I said, everybody's stepping on his shoe. I mean, Cutler steps on his shoe, Slow Drag steps on his shoe, but he doesn't. And then, of course, Sternavan and Irving are stepping on his shoes, right? And, you know, literally. Right. (laughs) So, but he doesn't have that um, that kind of... uh, So, yeah, so that's a very profound kind of... um, And then, of course, when he... When he kills, I mean, of course, Glenn Turman is just a, mm-hmm. a, a superb actor. He kills Toledo. Right. Toledo's eyes are wide open. <laughs> right? Like, literally. And he's looking at him. And he says, don't look at me like that. You know? And it's like, you can't close this guy's eyes. It's like a a look of accusation and a look of like, you know, right. he's, you're, I'm, my eyes are on you. You've done this dirty deed. And now you can't. Right. I'm like literally my eyes are wide open and I thought that was it, really powerful. Right. And it was. Of, and it was like, what, almost was like the judge. It was almost like this of moment of like um yeah. recognitioning uh recognition because in the end, like even after he stabs him, he sits there. It's not like he gets up, he stabs him and he just goes away. He he lays there with him. You know, just holding him as if, right. you know, t- as if he's still alive. Right. Like he's just sitting there. He's just laying there, you know. In the you know the scene ends, it gets dark right. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I found that to be really interesting because I was like, why would he? Because you know Toledo, um, Toledo was very nice about it. He was like, you know, I didn't mean to step on your shoe, and he was just making a big deal about it because he was really upset about the fact. Right. And right. really, one of the things that I found interesting about Levy is, right, right. is because he's looking at my rainy. He's like, you know. I've been studying under her. I'm better than her. So his thought is that he's a young man. He's um he's better in tune with the time. So he thought like, oh, I'm better than her. But he forgot like again, he's going in this prematurely. He does not have the wisdom to step into Ma Rainey's shoes. And so the way that Irvin and um uh, Mr. Stud or what I believe that's his name, the other guy um oh mr sturvey the way they're handling my rainy and you know the way they're doing her and talking to her levy's there for that you know what i'm saying but he believes that oh since i'm younger and i'm more in tune with the times they're not going to do me that way they're not going to treat me how they treat my rainy see because she's she's older they're not going to treat me like that he was under the expectations that he had one up on my rainy when at actually he was not and so when that right. actualization came to him, he was just like, right. oh, wow, this is a moment for me. Right. It was a moment for him because he didn't think it would happen to him. See, he thought he was he had outsmarted the group. He's telling the group, oh, y'all just a regular old band. Right. Y'all just this country band. Oh, I'm I'm a real musician. You know, I'm a real artist. You know, I'm writing my own song. And, you know, Irvin said, do my piece on um my Rennie's Black Bottom. He wants to do my version. You know, he's bragging about these things. He 
he sets himself himself apart from the group he wants to be seen in a higher light than them he thinks that he's better than them and in actuality that's his immaturity showing he he is not mature enough you know he's going into this thing prematurely he does not know the in and outs of the music business versus my rainy who knows the game she knows the games that they're playing which is why in the end she Irvin is like please sign the um you know she was like the only reason why you know she's like pay him pay him what you owe him and she and he's like what's the problem what's the problem she was like the only reason why you're going to pay him what you owe him because you want me to sign this contract and Irvin's like please sign a contract please sign a contract and she's she's tempted not to do it see she has them where she wants them see my rainy is smart about what she does she's very calculated She's a very smart yeah. woman versus Levy, who's very right. immature. He doesn't know the ins and outs. He trusts these people. But Maroney, Maroney right. knows better not to trust these men because she's know they full of it versus Levy, who believes these men that he believes, you know, they're going to keep their word to him. Right. Sure. And actually, they're just using him. And Maroney knows that. Right. But Levy, of course, he's naive. He doesn't know right. that. And so that puts him in this position where, right. you know, he feels like, well, it wouldn't make sense for him to kill color. It wouldn't make sense for him to kill slow drag. What would he gain from that? But to kill Toledo, not not only just because he's the oldest, but because right. he's he represents the wisdom. The yeah. he's he's the most intellectual. This man is talking about reading newspapers and sort of things. These other right. men are talking about who they're gonna have sex right. with and what their next drink is gonna be. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, I think that's uh, certainly quite poignant, and that. What we are clearly are seeing here is that the, the hubris of youth for Levy is, is really his undoing and that he really does not take a step back to really see what people are really saying and trying to sort of learn. He's, he thinks he has, has everything, as, you, as you're suggesting, figured out. And then that really is something that um, puts him when he discovers that, in fact, um, what he's been told is actually true. It's too much for him. Right. And so he lashes out and kills Toledo and does all sorts of things. And, and really that leads to his, uh, his demise. So, so the big city, as if you can't, if you don't know how to negotiate right. it properly, it will, it will eat you up and spit you out. Right. And so Levy is really, uh, uh, ends up in that position. Um, right. Uh, whereas mom, Ma ends up, you know, returning to, to the top. Right. She only sees the North as a provisional place. It's only a, a place to kind of to ply her craft. But she doesn't see herself as kind of becoming a part of that scene in the way that Levy sees himself. Right. right? She, mm-hmm. she knows where her roots are. She knows where, if you will, her bread is buttered. Right. <laughs> and, and and that's, a, I think, that inter- interesting conversation that she has with Cutler where mm-hmm. and Cutler later on says, hey, you know, black people made made Ma. Right. And so. Whites don't care about her, right? And she knows it. So she uh, continues to stay with the audience that made her and focus on that kind of uh, project. And so that speaks to the way in which she she does her music, uh, who she sees as her audience for her work, and why she insists on certain kinds of frameworks and won't uh, deviate from them, right? Yeah, so that's an interesting framework. So, so any concluding thoughts about my reign? I mean, what would we... Would we uh, uh, advise people to to take a look at this? Are some of the things that that uh, viewers can take? Away I think from this that? is um um an ex- an excellent film. I think um it was done very well. I think um this is 
a cautionary tale. Um, you have this story of this great woman and this naive, young, ambitious uh, musician who is basically somewhat of her, of, she's somewhat mentoring him almost, you could say loosely speaking, and he gets ahead of himself. And it's kind of like a cautionary tale to like, don't put the horse before the carriage. You know, you have to have wisdom when you're going into certain situations. Oftentimes it's not about the ability. Oftentimes it's about, you know, the wisdom. You can have all the abilities of the world, but if you lack wisdom, then the abilities is, the ability is futile. So yeah, I, I think this is a really, um, good film to watch um it's very entertaining um you get to know you get they shed a little light about um my rainy the person and we kind of see her you know a little glimpse of her and who she was and what she represented so yeah i would i would advise um listeners to watch it yeah yeah so yeah i would agree i think for all the reasons that that you've said and all the things that we talked about it's a wonderful uh, introduction to the work of Ma Rainey. It uh, traverses the terrain from uh, the South to the North. It was a really wonderful story about uh, the nature of, of Black musical production and the challenges that Black musicians uh, face. It gives us a wonderful insights into the life of Ma Rainey and to her uh, experiences as a Black woman, her sexuality. Uh, it really is uh, useful in terms of talking about some of these rural and urban uh, uh, issues. And then, of course, it gives us a, a really textured kind of look at the kinds of challenges, the racial, cultural uh, dynamics uh, in the music industry and the way, and then the larger kinds of challenges in Black culture uh, and challenges between uh, struggles between Black and white culture in the period. Um, and really gives us a very rich and, and wonderfully informed uh, sense of of these realities. So it's a really powerful uh, piece, and it has um, wonderful music and wonderful material all around. And uh, so it really is a powerful uh, piece. So I'm gonna uh, leave with uh, a, a presentation a of Ma Rainey's yeah. Black Bottom. Uh, Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom live in the green space. I'm going to use this to take us out. Thank you for listening today right, to boys. our podcast. Uh, Alright boys, you didn't seen the rest. Now I'm going to show you the best. Ma Rainey's going to show you her Black Bottom. Way down south in Alabama
of black music that's we're leaving you with ma rainey's black bottom live in the green space that was done in september of 2013 thank you again for coming out to hear the historian speaks podcast uh, let us know your thoughts about the podcast you can do so at historianspeaks at gmail.com please visit historianspeaks.org listen to our podcast read the blogs join our email list and donate to our cause uh, thank you to Krishanta Drake, our assistant editor. Ms. Drake, no thank you. I thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for our work, for your work. Okay, thank you. And please uh, come back and join us again.